All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I'm Jeremy Jackson, host of the show, but Victoria Morris has put together a whole list of people that she wants to speak with. So last year on Twitter during Black History Month, uh, she highlighted one of the athletic trainers that has impacted her life or that she wants to meet. And so I said, hey, let's do this on a podcast. So she took that list and reached out to the people. So Victoria, thanks for doing all the work to get the names and everything like that. But our guest for today is Dr. Mercedes Hemmons. She works at the California University of Pennsylvania. She's been certified for 10 years, working for nine. She works with Pat's Inclusivity Committee, and she is a Starbucks enthusiast. And so we were talking earlier about how it's cold here in the Houston or in Texas area because Victoria is like about two hours north of me, so it should be even colder for her. Uh, but then over in Pennsylvania, they're already below freezing. So maybe we'll have to hear about your favorite Starbucks as well as we get to know who you are, Dr. Mercedes Hemmons. So this one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash diversity and inclusion. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash diversity and inclusion. So all of those are spelled out. There's no symbols or anything like that to make it difficult. Diversity and inclusion. So let's get to know a little bit about Dr. Hemmons, who you are, um, where you're from, and things like that. And, And understanding your story before we really get into the diversity and inclusion piece. So, Dr. Hemmons, if I walk down the hallway at your parents' house, right, uh, what are the pictures, what are the stories going to tell me? Hmm. I'm trying to think because it's changed over the years. So, um, there's a lot of pictures from my childhood and um, I can be very sassy. I'm a sassy kind of lady so I think the sass shows in the pictures um even from a young age and I'm always in a dress and consequently enough I don't really like dresses now (laughs) so it's like oh look at little Mercedes she's all sassy and dressed up with bows and just everything and I don't necessarily like all that now so it'll tell the story of a sassy little girl and um of course my accomplishments are up on the wall so it's pretty much I don't want to say a shrine to me but but, um you can definitely tell that I live there and my family's proud all right so tell me a little bit more because if I look at the pictures we have a whole wall covered uh of pictures because you know I have five kids now um Mm -hmm. and so we got pictures where they're in the mud or pictures where they're crying in Santa's lap and or um, you know when they're out at the deer lease and shooting a gun that kind of thing so what what other story besides being a sassy dress wear what else would I learn about you by looking at just those pictures um let's see there's pictures like professional pictures of myself and my mom um I grew up in a single parent household so Mom, I lived with my mom, my grandma, my aunt, and my cousin. Um, I'm an only child on my mother's side, but even though I'm an only child, I grew up with my older cousin, and we're seven years apart. So it was kind of like I had a sibling. So it, there's pictures of us together, um, a lot of pictures from just family outings, and those are usually just us sitting around tables um, at holidays or we like to party and gather. So we always would have once a month, we used to do like a chat and chew and everybody would go to one house and we just would cook, bake and just sit around. The adults would have wine and such. Um, So it really was just like a lot of family thing so I'm not usually in a picture by myself it's usually me surrounded with um a family member anybody um family wise so I guess you could say it really would be I'm family oriented and I am still very family oriented and friends you know everybody around me is always they're always around me in some way and I guess that's probably why I like to have pictures 
So tell me a little bit more about this shrine to Dr. Mercedes, about the accomplishments. What are some of those plaques that you have hanging on the wall? So the one is my, I went to Cal U for undergrad and for my master's and the curriculum back then, we actually became certified EMTs through the program. So my EMT certificate and like the first, uh, patch that they give you is in a frame and it's hanging on the wall um my high school diploma is on the mantle um my high school actually just was recently closed um and it is the first all-girls catholic high school in the country so my diploma is still on the mantle and i have not hung my bachelor's because i don't like it it's very ugly in my opinion and I just ordered a reprint of it so that can go up and um my graduation picture from my bachelor's and my PhD are hanging um I haven't framed my PhD yet but it will go up in that accomplishment setting all right. So you talked about being a single parent and you lived with your grandma and your aunt and then you have all these things hung up on the wall. Um, what does your family history of, you know, getting a bachelor's or master's look like? Does, has anybody else in your family done that? No. So I am first generation for college and my I, my mom has two sisters. The oldest sister, she has an associate's degree. And my aunt, the middle one, I believe she has an associate's, but she's also been off and on taking classes to finish to get a bachelor's. Um, my mom went to high school. My grandmother, she went to high school. So I am first generation figured everything out somehow some way and here I am yeah my older sister she has a master's but neither of my parents went uh went to college but both graduated from high school so I think I'm technically first generation college yes. graduate but my older sister graduated as well so <laughs> I, I can't know. I can't say that my parents my parents but well so my dad was a high school dropout and then my mom um, has her associates and she has her bachelor's. And when I went and got my bachelor's, my dad decided to go back and get his GED. Um, he hasn't needed it. Like he's, it's never affected him, but he was like, you know, all of my kids graduated high school. Now they're in college. Like I want to add that. So we threw him a big like graduation party. Like, congratulations, you got your GED. <laughs> <laughs> it is an accomplishment. So we should celebrate everything. It is. <laughs> Now, uh, Mercedes or Dr. Hemmons, um, you, <laughs> you, you sound maybe like you're from, uh, from the South, right? So are you, you, you said you went to Cal U there in Pennsylvania. Um, are you from the South? I am not. I am from Philadelphia and I'm from North Philadelphia. So that is the inner city and I went to school at Cal, which is on the other side of the state near Pittsburgh. Um, but my father's side of the family is from North Carolina. So I think being around his side of the family kind of gave me a little southern twang at some point. I'm not sure where it came from, but a lot of people do think I am from the south until they get to know me and know I'm I'm from North Philly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I've never had the pleasure of going there, and I know that you've talked a couple times on uh, the athletic training chat where you've just been recently made a co-host about how when NETA is there in Philadelphia to come and hit you up, just follow you around, and you can show us all the good spots. So if you're going to NATA, make sure you hit up Dr. Hemmons, and then she'll give you all the, the details on the good places to go. So one of my favorite foods is Philly cheesesteak. <clears throat> and so I've only had Philly cheesesteak down here in Houston because I've never been up to Philly. So I can't wait until the opportunity to go up to Philadelphia and have a real genuine Philadelphia cheesesteak. So. Yes, please, because you're not going to want the ones in Houston anymore. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 
So we'll see. I, I've had a, I have a friend that's actually from Pennsylvania and he said that they use some sort of like marinara sauce on some of them or something like that. I don't ah, know. That would be like a pizza cheese steak <laughs> because we just have to complicate everything. So, you know, you have your typical cheese steak, you have a pizza cheese steak, or it's like a cheese steak hoagie and that would be with like lettuce, tomato, and you know, a real cheesesteak does not have green peppers and onions, contrary to what people Wait, wait, wait. wait. A real cheesesteak doesn't have green peppers and onions? No. Like, you could get fried onions, but we don't do the green peppers. I don't There's know. There's no, like, bell peppers on there? Wait, wait, That's hold on. Green peppers, you could say, oh, uh, well, not really green peppers. More so, like, a hot pepper and, like, a banana pepper, um, but that's not like I've huh. been lied to. I've been yeah. lied to. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. literally, people, I'm like, that's not a cheesesteak with these peppers and onions. That would, I would say that's more of like an Italian beef with peppers and onions. But so, what is an actual Philly cheesesteak? So, what really goes on there besides bread and meat? So, bread, meat, cheese, usually American cheese, and or you could get cheese whiz because we put cheese whiz on everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it would be the meat, the cheese, fried onions, salt, pepper, and ketchup. Like maybe even mayo if you like mayo, but it's not a requirement. So Man, I haven't had breakfast. Now I'm hungry. Now no. I need a, now I need to make me a cheesesteak. <laughs> I would highly recommend just making your own. And it has to be a, a specific type of roll, like an Amoroso roll, but that's not sold everywhere. So really you just have to get like a hoagie roll um, or a sub roll in the South, maybe. Hero. Hold on, I'm writing this down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ooh, I don't know. Y'all haven't had real cheesesteaks. Just... So yes, when y'all come to Philly, feel free to, maybe we can make a caravan to somewhere, but you got to experience the real deal. I'm looking forward to, to that someday, even if I don't go this summer. Um, yeah. So you, you know, we're talking about being from different places and you've talked about how you've been taking time for your mental health and taking trips. Uh, you went to Cairo and rode on a camel, look overlooking the period, pyramids during sunset when you were talking on, the, I think, the most recent episode with uh, Athletic Training Chat. And, and that's been an important part of you just developing as a professional is taking that time away. Um, what are some of the the trips that you have really enjoyed, like maybe your, your top trip so far, and then what do you look forward to doing as well? Um, okay, so I kind of wow myself with how, like, my top trip and, like, my dream destinations have changed within the past five years. But I just always wanted to go to Paris and Rome, specifically Vatican City. Like, that was top one and two with Turks and Caicos being number three. And in 2019, two years ago, but two years ago, I was able to knock out Paris and Italy together. So I spent 10 days with one of my friends and we went to Paris for, I believe that was about three days. And then we spent the rest of the time in Italy. So we went to Rome, we went to Vatican City. We also went to Florence. So that was probably the highlight of my life at the time. Um, So that was like, you know, wow, I finally did my dream trip, you know, I really don't need to go anywhere else, but of course I want to see the world. And I love all things ancient Egypt. So going to Egypt was probably the now highlight of my life to see everything and to see the pyramids. It just, it didn't compare like the Eiffel Tower and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. They, they don't compare to the pyramids because they are just, massive and to finally see them in person was just like my jaw dropped because I was just like oh my gosh I'm finally here and then to ride a camel at sunset overlooking the pyramids it was like wow I'm I'm here in Egypt so I would say now my dream 
other than Turks and Caicos, like I have to go there. It just looks beautiful. Um, I would say my next biggest would be I want to go back to Italy, no matter where it is, because it was just beautiful. But anywhere in Africa, I really want to go to South Africa since I've now been to Northern Africa, but um, like Johannesburg, uh, Peoria, Cape Town, any of those destinations, I really want to go there. But I also want to go to Ghana um, because I think I have some roots in Ghana. I'm not exactly sure, but anywhere is fine by me. Um, Maybe Portugal is up next. I actually started looking <laughs> where's the next trip um so portugal is pretty up on the list a lot of people are recommending it and it seems fairly inexpensive all right so you talked about when you went to a all-girls catholic high school the first one there and you said in the state or the city in the nation in the nation okay and that's just recently closed um did y'all have sports in high school, and did you have an athletic trainer? We had sports. We did not have an athletic trainer. Um, I I don't even think she was a physical therapist, the lady that was there. She definitely wasn't the school nurse, but she was always around, and she seemed to always have, like, medical supplies. I know for a fact she was not a physical therapist or an athletic trainer, but the athletic director was the one that told me about athletic training. And I was just confused. Like, oh, what are you talking about? Because we don't have one and you know about it, but we have sports. So it was just like, mm, okay. So that, that was my first in to athletic training. I never knew of even any of my friends having um, an athletic trainer at their schools, whether they went to Catholic school or public school. So just that conversation made you decide, hey, I'm going to go to school for this? Or how did that come about? Yeah, so she told me, she was like, I think you'll be a great athletic trainer. Um, I actually was the manager for the basketball teams. So I was just always around. And she's like, oh, you should be an athletic trainer. And I'm like, what is that? So I researched athletic training. And I was like, okay, this sounds you know, pretty cool. I get to work with people. I can help people and then also still have like a healthcare medical background. Um, so it was very intriguing and I researched where athletic training programs were. Um, I did not want to stay in Philly. So Temple was out of the question. Um, so I did my research and Cal at the time was one of the top programs. And I also noticed that they had a lot of, you know, big names in athletic training. So I said, that's where I want to go. I visited Cal my junior year of high school and I fell in love with the campus. Everyone that I met on campus was very pleasant and it just really had that small, hometown small vibe that I thought I was looking for and I definitely got it and I don't you know regret coming here and I always talk about my experience here so I think it just all went well worked out in its own crazy way all right so you've been certified for 10 years nine years practicing as an athletic trainer what has been the most impactful, most important thing about the profession of athletic training for you? Ooh, most impactful. Definitely, I would say um, the relationships. So not only just with my coworkers, but the relationships that I get to have with my patients. Um, really just being there and being an advocate for them in any way that I can. Um, getting to know their stories and you know me personally I love to know anybody's why and that was a huge driving factor in my dissertation research so being able to make relationships and you know have an impact on you know not even just my coworkers, but the athletic training students that we've had and our patient population then you know that's that's what's impacting me the most so for me, we're talking about 
diversity and inclusion is kind of the overall theme, but from my, I guess I, did, I haven't researched it. I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, but diversity means people that are not the same. And then inclusion means including those thoughts and opinions, perspectives, um, in, in the conversation. And a large part of that is relationships, like getting to know the person. It's not just, Hey, you ankle sprain over here, do this exercise. It's, Oh, Hey, you Mercedes, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? And, you know, that's part of the, part of what we do in, in our other training facility is, Hey, what's your, what's your pain level? And then how are you feeling as a person today? And then mm-hmm. is there anything, anything else I need to know about anything else going on, you know, that that's concerning you right now? And again, it's about that building relationship and including their outside life other than that one specific injury in the whole process. Um, And again, that's why we've spent the first part of the podcast just getting to know who you as Dr. Mercedes Hemmons are. Um, So with that, let's kind of move into the focus on diversity and inclusion. And why don't you start us off with your working definition of both diversity and inclusion? Okay, so my, we'll say working, very fluid definitions of diversity and inclusion would be, you know, diversity is having multiple people, um, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, sexual identity, um, all of that in the same place. So, you know, let's have men, women, non-binary, and, you know, LGBTQ+, or anybody that's questioning, just all kinds of intersections, so to speak, um, in one place. So that's diversity for me. And inclusion is just making sure that all those people are heard and seen, and their feelings, their opinions are taken into account. Um, because we all are going to have differing opinions about things. We, you know, may do things differently than someone else, but if they're doing something and it's also efficient and effective, then let's take that into account and maybe we can use that. And that's, you know, professionally, personally, anything, just making sure to keep that mindset of my mindset and what I've learned is not the only way. So Daria is watching live online and she said she heard someone use the word belonging instead of inclusion. And so she uses that. What are your thoughts there? I definitely would agree with belonging Um, and just a, you know, student athlete population um, for my research, a lot of higher education and we can say high school, just in general, um, African-Americans or black people, I usually say black people, but some people prefer African-American, um, don't have a sense of belonging in their campus community. Um, and that's where campuses, institutions tend to lose diversity because campuses and institutions are looking for I hate to say it, you know, the students are just a number and they want to keep enrollment up, but they're not doing anything to include and make the students feel like they belong. Um, And that can happen just on a team as well. So, you know, we can work together on a team. And if I don't feel like I belong on that team and no one is, you know, asking my opinion or making me feel included, then there's, I'm not going to feel like I belong. I'm going to seek to do something elsewhere or try to do something on my own so here at Pasadena High School we are probably 95 percent Hispanic um Mm. there's probably like I don't know I would say three percent white maybe one percent black and then I'd say one percent other something like that um and so it's I would they can definitely see how it'd be easy for someone to not feel like they belong if they're not Hispanic and speaking Spanish here um so I have two foster daughters that are black and some of the uh, girl, female athletes that come in that are black. I, I try to, you know, I'll say like, Hey, I like your hair or, you know, Hey, look, how do you do this with your hair? That kind of thing to help, I guess, bridge the gap, but also because I want to learn because I am obviously white. Uh, I have no hair 
And so, you know, just learning from them, but including part of their, their life and their culture and just, I'm not taking it, but learning from them. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, is that an okay way for me to help them feel belonged? I would say yes. And it also depends, depends on your approach. Um, if you, if somebody comes to me and I know that they have no malintent or any malicious vibes going on, then, you know, if someone asks me something, I'm more than happy to answer it and teach. So that is one way to make someone feel comfortable and approachable as well as giving them a sense of belonging because you're asking them, uh, you noticed something about them and then you're asking them, how did they do it? And can you help me to understand, to learn, to actually practice and do something? So I think that's definitely one way that you can work on a sense of belonging. <clears throat> so again, actually, go ahead, go ahead, Victoria. I, I was just gonna say, I am the opposite of Jeremy. I am, and I hope my bell does not go off in just a second. I apologize if it does. Um, <laughs> but I'm at a rural Texas high school. Our population is mostly white. Um, and we have, I have a handful of black athletes. Like I don't have very many, I have one black coach. Um, and then the only other, you know, person of color on my campus is our superintendent. Um, he's, a, he's a black guy. Everybody else is white. We don't have, I think we have maybe one Hispanic teacher who teaches Spanish. Um, but other than that, it's, it's white women. And so I get athletes that come in all the time and I'm like, you know, they've had a rough day or something happened outside of school. And I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. And there it goes. <laughs> okay. there it goes. And so I just want to be like, I, I go to my basketball coach all the time and I'm like, Hey, can you talk to this kid? Or can you tell me like, how do I approach this kid? Because I don't know. I don't know what to do. And if somebody did that to you, Mercedes, like, what would you like? How would you handle that? Would you be okay with that? Like, sometimes I just feel insecure about going all the time. Right, right, right. No, I completely understand. But I would say, if somebody approached me and asked me to help them to help, you know, a black student athlete, then I have no problem with that. Because at the same time, if I don't understand something I'm going to approach someone and ask them for help um you know there's things that I can't relate to that maybe one of my white student athletes is going through because we just have a disconnect in how we were brought up um or just how we go about our daily lives but there are things that I can relate to and I would rather a coach or strength and conditioning coach, whoever, I would rather them ask for help than trying to figure it out and maybe it not be best delivered in the way that they do it. So it's all about that understanding and trying to take that extra step to get to figure out how you can help and make that sense of belonging, inclusion, and comfortability. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Thank you. So I had a interaction. Uh, I was asking someone, Hey, does this offend you or, or you know, uh, this kind of thing? And they're like, Oh, why don't you just go research your research it yourself? And so it, for me, it's kind of like tricky. Like, like Victoria was saying, I don't want to always be asking you, but I do want your input. And so um, if someone is in that situation where they're like, they feel like they are uh, burdening you, Mm-hmm. what might you suggest for that person? Um, I'm always going to lead someone to something that they can read um, or something that they can listen to, some sort of resource that I know of that has maybe helped someone else to understand. But at the same time, me personally, I don't want you to research misinformation. Um, I would rather to have that conversation with you. So I would never take it as a burden. Um, I've honestly taken on a lot personally where I feel that I have to educate others in terms of diversity and not necessarily inclusion because I'm still learning myself about that, but in terms of how, you know, whiteness and blackness 
translates into America. Um, I'd rather let's learn together. If it's something that I'm not proficient on, then, you know, that's fine because I, which most people wouldn't know, but I haven't experienced racism in a way that others have. So like, I don't have any situations where, you know, I felt left out or I was targeted other than being a black woman growing up in North Philadelphia that has its own issues. But I've never been in a situation where someone was overtly racist to me. Um, So I just want us to learn together. And if you take the time to understand and you're taking the time to seek help, then I would never say like, oh, I don't feel like teaching you. But maybe it might be one day where I'm just like, oh, read this, you know. But for the most part, let's let's talk it out. Because I think that's how people can best understand what they need to understand. Victoria, you have some questions? Yeah, so um, a big question I have, and I know the last year and a half, a lot of um, talks been going on on like AT Twitter and even in Facebook groups about the lack of things that the NATA are doing or districts are doing or even like local state associations are doing as far as racism, um, diversity, inclusion, things like that. So Mercedes, what are some things you want to see maybe at the local level or the, even the district level? I know you're, you know, the EDAC rep for Pennsylvania. And then, I mean, what would you want to see from NATA? Oh, so much. (laughs) Well, honestly, I, not to toot our horn, but I honestly think that PETS is doing what PETS needs to do in terms of trying to bridge the gap. Um, as the inclusive, so within pets, inclusivity houses, diversity, and LGBTQ+. So I am the chairperson for the whole committee, but I also chair the diversity side, and Bonnie Seipel um, chairs the LGBTQ+, side. But we we work together. Um, I would honestly say that I have carte blanche to do education or put something out um it's not a matter of oh we can't say that we can't do that so I think that's you know important for all of this whereas I know NATA has been very much we can't discuss things because of a political background where you know racism is a public health issue so we are healthcare providers, and I would think that it would be something we could talk about. Um, taking that political side out of everything, because at the end of the day, we're talking about humanity and just being humans to each other, being kind, and actually understanding history and the other side of things. So, yes, you may know about something. But do you understand how that affects your patients? Um, The NATA side of things, I don't understand because you have, I want to say maybe less than 20% of certified athletic trainers in the country are diverse in some way. Um, And then your patient population across the board is more diverse. So the people that we as athletic trainers are serving, they are affected by these situations. So we need to make them feel like they belong and they matter. And it all comes together. It's not a political issue. Um, I think the district level, being on that end, they're trying from what I know. Um, But I think things are just restricted in the state levels um as well as you can only do but so much to tie NATA to it so that's the issue there with them but like I said I think you know with pets and our ourselves we have an initiative to um get athletic training education out to high schools that have a pretty 
diverse um, ethnically population um, so that we can increase knowledge about athletic training as well as get that information to more diverse students to have increased diversity in the profession. Um, and then we also, I mean, I anything that I find that I can put out to the members about educating in some sort of way, I will put it out. Um, because I think, you know, as a highly white population in the state of Pennsylvania, we need to know. And just because it's always been one way doesn't mean that that way is the right way. And I think it does reflect on our leadership that they are actively trying to become educated and make sure that they have all the right tools and resources so that we can educate the members and put things into practice. So I think it's more so just don't be so apprehensive with everything. You have to show that you're willing to learn and willing to understand versus always being so defensive about everything. Um, because at the end of the day, the diverse population could just continue to be oppressed and defensive about everything. Whereas we are the ones doing the work to educate and we're doing all of the work for everything um, as a whole. And it's not our jobs to educate. Like you should want to know about these things. Right. Um, so you said that like you have a lot that you would like to change with the NATA level, that political side. So I just want to throw out like a scenario out there that you just got elected NATA president. Like, congratulations, you're our next NATA president. What would your platform be for diversity and inclusion within our profession? And like, what would you want NATA to do maybe to get rid of that political side of it and make it more about our patients and about healthcare in general? Um, I think personally, I would have to first understand the inner workings of NATA because I think that's what is the holding factor for things to become um, implemented and maybe worked on. Um, my platform would just be that whole everybody matters and everybody has a voice and granted, you know, some people are going to be mad about certain things that we do. Not everyone is going to be happy, but we need to just make sure that we are including everyone, everyone's opinion, and we're doing what's best for our patients in the long run, because that's why we do what we do. And if that's not why we do what we do, then we have something to work on. Um, but just that, I would say the inclusion and listening, listening to understand, not just to reply, um, is very important. And I think being approachable, you know, me as a person, I'm very personable and approachable. So I want to listen and I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm going to try to do my best to have that implemented in some way. It might not be right away, but it'll be worked on. So I think if, you know, I could one day be NATA president, it would just be, you know, let's, let's talk it out. Let's not be so, oh, I did this and this is how we're going to do it. Let's listen to each other and work together and not be so divided with everything. Because we, I think we have these extremes of, you know, this is the like old guard. And now we have the new forward thinking, progressive, you know, population in general, excuse me. And it's, they're, they're battling each other versus let's listen and try to, you know, change things for the better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, definitely makes sense. I, I, I like how you're like, we need to understand the NATA because I know a lot of people, they, they go on social media and they, they blast what the NATA does or they blast what certain companies do or governments do. And we don't understand what the board of directors and the president, what they're doing behind the scenes. Like, yeah, they get to meet up, you know, in Dallas and talk things out. And then they post these reports or they send out emails. 
but we don't know the decision making behind all that like who did they talk to who have they you know sat down and discussed things with did they discuss anything with anybody we don't know that so I liked how that was your first reaction and then like how you talk about everybody matters and you should have a voice I feel like sometimes we forget that um we think that like only certain groups need to weigh in whereas I feel like every like if you don't understand something pop in say hey I don't understand what's going on or I don't understand why we're doing this versus just we're going to focus on group A or group B or group C like we're just going to let you have all the say mm -hmm. so I kind of I kind of definitely kind of like that um it kind of leads into my next question actually which is pretty cool um so if companies or school districts or even your university is looking to like diversify not just among athletic training but maybe in athletics overall i mean if you look at the stats a lot of your coaches are older white males um and so maybe we're wanting to get females in there or we're wanting to get younger generations in there what would be some advice you would give to those companies or those athletic directors or the hiring managers to get more diversity in their companies um I think it depends heavily on demographic. Um, I'll go ahead and just speak about Cal. Um, Cal is a small rural town in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And literally the closest, I guess, not civilization, that's the wrong way to put it, but <laughs> like Walmart is, like 20 minutes away. So you have to go far to get to, I guess, maybe comfortability. Um, so it's just like, what what are you going to do to make people understand that, you know, there's not much in the town, but the surroundings and the campus community is welcoming or inviting? Or what can it do for me? Like, why can, why should I come here? versus um you know the actual city of pittsburgh because cal would be like the midpoint between pittsburgh and morgantown west virginia where wvu is so why should i come here versus just going to the city or just going to wvu uh, i think people really need to play on the demographic because it might not have anything to do with the institution it might just be where it's situated um you know some people of color may not think this is the best area because there's not a lot of diversity here so just let me know what you're doing to increase the diversity um do you care do you not care what does your campus community look like and you know how are you retaining these people. Um, retention is very important to me overall, not just in athletic training, not just in um, our school, but overall just higher education retention is declining. So what are, what are you doing about it? I, I ask a lot of questions. So I think if you can provide those answers of, you know, what do you do about this? What do you think about this situation? How would this be handled? If you can give me those answers, then that's going to help you in the long run. And not that I'm 10, it is going to help in general with um, your efforts. It just be transparent. Like, don't tell me one thing and then I get there and it's a whole other thing. And that's not even just athletic training, that's in life where people are very much like, oh, I'm going to tell you this because I want you to do this and I'm going to leave this part out. So I think that also reflects back on some situations within the NATA, there's no transparency. So we have to question a lot of motives, a lot of things that we're being told. Um, that transparency is going to be key for um, a lot of things, I think, in my opinion. So you mentioned retention. Uh, and I know me at the secondary school level, like teachers are quitting like left and right. Athletic trainers are quitting left. And I mean, like I know the athletic trainers in my football district, every single one of them I've talked to it, and even myself, like we've had those moments where we're like, we're done. Like printing out the letter of resignation, we are moving on, we're getting out of the profession or we're just getting out of the high school level in general. 
but you mentioned the retention at the higher education is the same thing. Do you think like inclusion and diversity have like enough, do you think that affects it at all? I mean, I would think so. Yes, I think it does affect it, but also at the end of the day, I think it's the way people are being treated as employees. Um, if I don't feel that my institution values me, then why should I stay? And I think I have that perspective because I'm, I think at this point I'm an older millennial, <laughs> but I have that mentality of if you don't value me as an employee, why am I going to stay? Why am I going to continue to provide services for you and do something for you when you don't care if I'm happy, you don't care about my mental well-being, you don't provide me anything, um, I could just go somewhere else, which is also the mentality of the student athletes, where if I'm not getting what I want here, I can transfer somewhere else to try to get it there. And, you know, they may or may not get it once they transfer, if they do. But people want to feel valued. People want to feel appreciated, whether it's, you know, uh, me as a black woman at a predominantly white institution or, you know, a white woman at a predominantly white institution. Do you feel valued? Why, why are you there? Why should I stay here? Because I can go somewhere else. And I think institutions as a whole are missing that point. And it's just do this, do this, do this versus how can we help you to help us? I think I probably said that a lot within the past six months of help me to help you. Like, it's really that simple. And I can't speak for everywhere, but, you know, just my own close-knit, like, we help each other. I do feel valued. I am a part of the team. The institution is trying to, you know, figure out whatever way that they can to keep the employees happy and whatever they can do um but also it goes with the past year and a half has just been crazy <laughs> and everybody's trying to figure everything out at the same time and people want those instant answers and sometimes people don't have the time to wait for the answer but figure out how we can help each other like we need to lean on each other we need to be valued appreciated and if you don't feel that then people are gonna leave and sometimes probably finances are an issue too, where you want me to do all this work and you're not paying me enough. Just make it make sense. So it's like, we know the money is there and you're not trying to help me. So I'm going to go. No. Yeah. I mean, that goes into one of my favorite quotes and I, we've been using it a lot here at our school district, but like people don't care how much you, and I know you guys have heard this but like people don't care how much you know until they know you care and that's not just for athletic training that's not just for coaching and healthcare. that's for like institutions as well like we don't know that you care about us unless you show it unless you're like hey you know thanks for doing the job I mean I know as athletic trainers that's all we want is a thank you like hey, thanks for doing your job. Thank you for being here 10, 12 hours a day. You know, thanks for getting my athlete back or that athlete that says, thanks for rehabbing me because you, I scored that three point shot last night or I got the touchdown in the game. Like that's all we want. And I feel like institutions aren't getting that. They're like, oh, you you showed up to work today. Like, okay, we're just going to throw everything on you. And it's like, yeah, I showed up to work, but I'm not really here like I'm right. here but I'm not here I'm not here I mean, mentally mentally gone and I that's that's been me the last couple of weeks I just I mean I've been here but I'm not really here and and I I'm finally getting better at that football's over so I'm finally getting better with that um so I think my last question um that I have and it's a really important one because it's the whole question that like started this whole thing I did on Twitter last year and kind of why Jeremy and I, you know, decided to do this podcast, but listeners out there, they want to be allies. Um, I know a lot of, especially, you know, people on AT Twitter and over on Facebook, I have a lot of people, they want to be an ally, but they don't know how to be like, they don't know what they need to do, what they need to say, what they need to hear. So what would you, what would be your advice to somebody who wants to be an ally? What would you like to see from them, hear from them? 
me personally, I want to know and feel comfortable in the fact that if you see something wrong, you're going to call it out and you're not just going to let it happen. And even if you don't call it out, let's say there's a situation where, you know, you're at an institution and there's a maybe a racial slur that happens between two student athletes and you may not feel comfortable calling it out right then and there but you later on that day say hey let me talk to you for a second this is what I thought about this or you know why did you say that understanding why it was said and correcting it if it was a negative thing because we know some slurs can be used uh interchangeably as terms of endearment um but knowing that you are going to make the effort to listen to understand and to act not just when someone is looking um to know that you're going to do the right thing when no one else is around um, as well as you're going to just step in if you see a need for you to step in. Um, I can honestly say that everyone I have surrounding me that is not a person of color, I am comfortable with knowing that if something happens, they're going to call it out. And nine times out of ten, the people that I know are going to do it right then and there versus pulling somebody to the side or talking about it later um they're going to do what needs to be done to eradicate this negative behavior um and they take the time to understand history um i know there's this whole uproar about critical race theory and it honestly cracks me up because Critical race theory is not taught to K to 12. Um, I personally did not learn about it until my doctoral program. So there's nothing that we need to be in an uproar about because it isn't taboo. And at the end of the day, it's history. And if you don't understand history, then that's a problem. So you have to learn it to know. And we're not just teaching kindergartners about race and, you know, things that happen in America. So if I know that you're doing the right thing and you're taking steps to learn, taking steps to understand and putting them into action, that's how you can best be an ally, in my opinion. So on that same thing, understanding history, you're Twitter handle is actually Memoir Vitae, which I looked it up. It's a record of my life. That's essentially what that means, correct? Yes, and it also means means remember to live. Remember to live? Okay. So if you would like to understand the history of Dr. Hemmons, you can find her on Twitter there. Um, I'll have a link there, but it should be easy to... What is your, your... not your Twitter handle, but your name on there. Does it say it says Dr. Mercedes, correct? <laughs> Hold on, I'm totally gonna this up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got us. Okay, so Victoria, look it up. So I think it says Dr. Mercedes. Um, mm-hmm. If you're gonna look her up on on Twitter, so you can get a record of her life or remember yeah. to live and understand her history, where she's coming from. We've talked a lot about it today, um, and. I want to kind of, I, I don't know if confess is the right word, but we went through a transracial adoption training because we're hoping to adopt, adopt these two black girls that are our foster daughters. And one of the things that the panelists, which were all black females that were adopted into white families, mm-hmm. they kept saying was, um, you know, the white adoptee or the white thing like this. And for me, it was like, why, why do they have to keep saying white? Why, why, you know? And so it like, it frustrated me and I, I, almost just kind of like turned the zoom call off or walked away. But a couple of days later, I was like, you know, they're sharing their story. I'm not approaching it like, Oh, Hey, I'm a white savior. I just opened up my home because kids needed a home and yes. it didn't matter who, but they're sharing their story, their perspective, because they're adults that have lived through that situation. So I need to stop and listen. I need to stop and take a record of their life so that I can grow 
So it's it's understandable for as we go through this, you should feel some some pain points or some resistance points because it should be causing you to grow. Just like if you're lifting weights, if you don't feel any resistance, you're not going to get any stronger. And so remember that it's okay to, to feel those things as long as you process them in a healthy way uh, and don't just dig in your heels deeper. You know, like she said, take a temperature of the room, see what's going on. Um, Victoria, did you find it for us? Yeah, so I t- just found it. Um, it's actually Dr. Mercedes L-A-T-A-T-C. And then um, I think, I love your picture, by the way, <laughs> your profile picture. You have your balloons with the DR on there. That's awesome. Yes, I had a graduation party finally. So it was like, yes, let's celebrate. And whew, we're finally done. <laughs> All right, favorite uh, book or quote or movie that you think people should just go watch just because you do. Okay. So my favorite quote, and I have said it multiple times today is from Stephen Covey. And it is listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to reply. Um, literally top quote of my life. Um, my favorite movie, <laughs> it probably is Talladega Nights. So <laughs> 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 Stupid, but it's hilarious in my opinion. Um, how is that my favorite book? Ooh, it's a there's a lot, but my favorite book as of recent is The Water Dancer by Tanahisi Coates, and it honestly was very eye opening to read a story about basically about slaves and. I want to say it was the 1800s. I forget. Um, But a slave story back in the day and the process of trying to get to freedom. And it was written so well that I felt I was in the story. So I think it was was a quick read. I mean, I say it was a quick read, but it might not be for everyone. (laughs) Um, But it definitely was very well written. it might be, I think it was on Oprah's list of books, or Oprah's book club. So it's easily accessible. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are all my favorites. And all right, and let's see if we can get Victoria riled up. Which is the best Marvel movie? Captain America, Winter no, Soldier. No, 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 five, I was asking, five, I was acting, asking Dr. Mercedes <laughs> Hemmings here. She's the doctor. Um, Marvel movie. Okay, wait. So every time it's on, I will watch Avengers Infinity War. I I will watch that multiple times. And basically all the Avengers movies, because I do have a goal to watch them all in order. I, I have a goal to do that. I will do it. But I don't, I don't know, like, the beginnings of them. Sorry, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, okay. I, th- I thought we could be friends. I was like, oh, we can watch all the Marvel. We can. Like, <laughs> we can watch them all together. If you can lead me to a link that puts them in chronological order, perfect. I got you. I got you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. All right, Victoria is all over social media. She, I think, is most famous on TikTok. Um, Victoria, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you? Um, so if anybody wants to get a hold of me, actually, my Twitter is probably going to be the best. Okay. I can actually access it on my phone at school. So, <laughs> um, but that's going to be Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S underscore A-T-C on there. Um, and then if anybody does want to watch my TikToks, which I mean, all for it, I let's get, let's get to a hundred thousand. Um, that's going to be coach Morris A-T on TikTok. <laughs> All right, so check out Victoria. Again, she's the one that kind of put all this together. Uh, all I did was reach out and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Can we work together? And she said, yes, I'm all about it. So she she put all the list together, uh, and I'm, I'm glad we started off with Dr. Mercedes Hemmons. And again, she said you can get her on Twitter at uh, memoir, memoria vitae. I, I'm probably, I can't spell anyway, so um, just find it on there. Just search for her anything like that on Twitter or once the podcast comes out with diversity and inclusion. 
So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash diversity and inclusion. So one of our partners is physicaltherapy.com. Uh, and you can go to physicaltherapy.com slash one free course, and they will help you uh, that one free course. You know, it may be a three or four hour course, whatever it is, to get you those CEUs. Um, they're part of the reason I uh, I was able to get the blood flow restriction because when they donated to the podcast, uh, you know, I used that money to help pay for that blood flow restriction course here for the school. But again, it's a great, great opportunity. It's 99 bucks for one year to all the CEUs that you can get in one year. So check them out. Uh, Tanya. Watson was uh, coming in on the Facebook Live and said, uh, get uh, get you a Disney Plus subscription, and I think they have them in order. I don't know, but Victoria will, will post them in order today because I know that's the only thing she's thinking about right now is Perfect. Marvel. So I do have Disney Plus, so <laughs> let, let, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> All right, so for Jeremy, Dr. Mercedes Hammonds, Victoria Mortis, Victoria Morris, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This is diversity and inclusion. That is a wrap. Thanks.